Hey family, my name is Don. I'm a real alcoholic. <laughs> and it's by God's grace and the company I keep, I haven't found it necessary to pick up a drink or a drug today. And for that, I'm really grateful. And I want to thank everybody in this room for being here because I, I can't do this by myself. I want to especially thank the Fifth Tradition Group for inviting a junk dope fiend like me to speak to you. Before I came into the program, I used to drink a lot. I used to drug a lot. And one day I found myself on the south side of the by Cleveland Avenue. So one of things, uh, one of my tendencies is that I do a lot of walking. So I was walking down 75, 85 north, and I'm just walking and I'm walking, and I see this guy with this truck parked on the side of the road. So I decide I'm going to be the good Samaritan, and I go up to him, and I ask him if I could be of any assistance. And he says, look, I got this truckload full of penguins. I've got to get them to the land of zoo. I'll give you $300 if you can take these penguins to the zoo. I said, okay. So he opened up the back. We lined up the penguins. He gave me the $300, and we started walking. Walking up 75, 85. 220 uh, East, down 20 East, to the boulevard exit, down boulevard to the land of zoo. So, a couple of hours pass by, and the guy fixes his trucks, and he starts hauling them up 75, 85, 220 East, down 20 East to the boulevard exit, down boulevard to, to going to the zoo. And he sees me and the penguins walking in the opposite direction. So he makes a big U-turn, he jumps out the car, He's screaming, he's hollering, he says, what are you doing to me? I gave you $300 to take the penguins to the zoo, what are you doing? And so I looked at him, I said, well, I took them to the zoo already. I got a couple of dollars left over, so now I'm going to take them to Six Flags. You know, if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I wouldn't be here. I never thought I'd live to be this old. What I'd like to share with you, in a general way, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I come from a family of educators. My great-grandfather was a slave who became president of West Virginia State University. So I'm fourth generation college educated. I'm a twin, and I have triplet sisters behind me. So we were two years old, and we had this picture in the New York Daily News, my mother holding my triplet sisters and me and Donna standing on the side. So we lived in New York for a while, and then we moved to New Jersey because my mother was commuting. And I can't say I had a bad childhood. My father and mother were always separated. My mother didn't drink. And so I grew up and I excelled in some athletics and academics. Boys stayed. When I was in high school, I used to take classes at Princeton University for quote-unquote gifted kids. 
and I used to have a good time. And then I went to college. I saw Sloan Stone on the Ed Sullivan Show, and he gave me license to be a black hippie. And that's all I needed. <laughs> that's all I needed. And then, while I was in college, I discovered the fruits of the vine. <laughs> Brian mentioned Strawberry Hill, but it was also saying Suppertime, Wild Irish Rose, <laughs> Mad Dog, Night Train. I was, 20, I was 25 when I found that good wine didn't have a twist off top. <laughs> So I went to college and I excelled there. And uh, growing up, I grew up in a household full of women. There were six women in my household, my four sisters and my mother and my grandmother. And I always felt separate. I always felt apart. They were playing with dolls. I was playing basketball. And I could never put my finger on what that feeling was. So it was suppressed. And I stayed in the streets. Because someone told me that if I go to school and I stay in the streets, I can have two educations. One learned, one in the streets, and that way I'll be twice as smart as the next guy. <laughs> and that happened to be true. I had a real good education. I went to Wise Guy High and Smart As You. <laughs> smart As You? Oh, that's, that's for me. So back in, in 77, I had called up a roommate from college, and uh, I asked him what he was doing. He said, I need some help. I said, can you put me up? He said, yeah, I'll be down in two days. So I was working as a fundraising consultant. I quit my job and went to Atlanta to help him with this theater, because I'm a showbiz baby. I'm theater. My mother was part of a, a group called the American <coughs> Theater Company in New York. And out that group came Ozzy Davis, Ruby Dee, Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte, uh, Helen Martin, Sylvia Sims. So I was always backstage. I know showbiz. So he asked me to come down and help him with this theater. I said, no problem. So, I have to apologize. There's a lot of drugs in my story. So, every day we go to work. I was uh, working for this theater. Some of you might have heard of it. Called Theater of the Stars. Anybody hear that? So, I had an opportunity to work with the biggest names in show business. Mickey Rooney and Margaret Dick Van Dyke. And Miller, Donald O'Connor, Mickey Rooney. Real showbiz, not community, real showbiz. It's the type of business or type of industry where people don't care about your feelings. You either do it or we'll replace you. So, we used to perform at this place called Peachtree Playhouse, which is on 14th and Peachtree. And every day at 4 o'clock, across the street in Colony Square, they'd have happy hours. And so I'd be over there, like clockwork, every, every day, 4 o'clock, having my bamboo on the rocks. So one day I was doing this show, and a friend of mine by the name of Stricky 
So what you doing after the show, man? Say, nothing. He just hanging. He says, I got some cocaine for us. I said, nah, I gotta pass. Because what I had done in college, as I had burned up my nasal passages. Because what we would do, what we would do is save the roaches. Anybody know where the roaches? <laughs> we take the roaches and we stick them into some tissue paper. And then we take match heads and put those into the tissue paper. Twist it up, light it up, and... I can't smell now worth a damn. <laughs> you can ask my wife. I can't smell nothing. So I said, no, man, I'm not going to do any cocaine. I, I, I put it up my nose. It's just a waste of money. He said, no, man, we're not going to snort it. We're going to smoke it. I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah. And we went to this house, and I remember taking that first hit, the, the feeling of elation that overcame me at that time was just like nothing I had ever experienced. Because I have done all types of drugs, all forms of LSD, peyote, mushrooms, orange sunshine, blotter, red devils, yellow jackets, because I grew up in the time period where drugs, that's what you did. If somebody was a drinker, you have this thing, because they're oiler, they're square. They're drinking the guitar. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> but yet, I still have my either Jamboree or Stoli or Absolute. I would take, I would go to a bar, and I'd order dark Guinness Stout or black honey. And I call it black ass beer. Dark honey can dark honey. <laughs> and then I order two shots of Absolute, and I pour it into my beer and have a four to five beer, and that's how I start off. Then I go to my mudslides, and I never had a problem with alcohol and drugs. The only time I had a problem was when the money ran out. <laughs> then I had a cash flow crisis. That's all it was, cash flow crisis. And so I did that, and I became a weekend warrior. Friday, Saturday, chill out on Sunday so I could go to work. And then Friday, Saturday became... Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's only one more day. Not a problem. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday became Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday became Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday became Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday became Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I smoked cocaine for 14 years. And it's by God's grace. I didn't have the consequences. 
that other people have. Oh, I took off my glasses because most of y'all don't know me. <laughs> Folks who know me know I never take off my glasses. <laughs> it got so bad that, see, I'm a, I'm a, I don't care each type of alcoholic. I don't care about consequences. I got a lot on the cap here. I can figure it out. But what would happen is, I couldn't get the thought out of my mind. I'm either thinking about getting high, thinking about not getting high. No, it's only, no, I'll wait. No, let me go now. All day, all night. Can't get the thought out of my mind. And so this continued. I started getting high in, in uh, 1967. I finally stopped and stayed stuck in April 1995. I have a sponsor. His name is Paul McKee, and he has a sponsor by the name of Bill Group. But you know, I didn't know nothing about no AA. I figured I could quit on my own, and I couldn't. So one day I was at the spirit party, and I was Throwing down beers, throwing them down. I must have done two six-packs in an hour. And that's when I had a moment of clarity. I said, something's wrong here. I'm not high, and I don't have to go to the bathroom, which was not my ammo at all. So I called up a, a college buddy who had gotten into the program, and he said, you know, to meet him at 2675 Glenwood Avenue. So all night long, I'm pacing the floor, trying to decide if I was going to do this. And I said to my play sister, Lark, I said, Lark, you know, if I go do this AA thing, everybody's going to know I'm an alcoholic dolphin. <laughs> she said, Don, they already do. <laughs> See, because I was the last to know. Now, I mentioned I didn't have consequences like other people. I never got arrested, never caught a case. I always ended up in the ICUs. Piedmont, Grady, Crawford Long, Emory, St. Joseph's, Georgia Baptist. I drink and drug till I die. That's what I do. That's what I do. Because I don't care. Roll the dice, good. I haven't cracked out yet. I still got another shot. So, I go to this meeting, and my friend preps me, point preps me. He says, look, this is not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. I said, cool. So, I'm there. The first thing they do is they have a prayer. <laughs> Next thing they do is they pass the basket. <laughs> After that, they said, does anybody want to come join us? <laughs> I said, I've been hoodwinked again. <laughs> but I had no place to go. So, the plan was after that meeting, they were going to go get me into treatment. Now, I had to explain. Let me backtrack a little bit. 
By the time I came into the rooms, you see, I'm not a big guy. I was weighing about 115 pounds. I had all these scars from all my surgeries. My hair was in carrot top dreadlocks. <laughs> I had the shakes, and I used to smell like cocaine. So we go to this treatment center, and they say, oh, we're sorry, we'd like to uh, let, admit you, but you're too much of a health liability. Went to the second place, same answer. Third place, same answer. Fourth place, you know, the fourth place was someplace where they take anybody, and they wouldn't take me. You know what it's like to go ask somebody for help, and they say they can't help you. So I made a pledge to myself, if I ever got straight, anybody, whether it's male or female, who asks me for help, I will help them. So, we finally get to this place in DeKalb County. And this is how God works in my life. There was a uh, counselor there who I went to high school with. She didn't do any of the interviews, but I got to believe she put in a word for me. So they sat me down and said, look, here's what we'll do. If you stay sober for a week and come back next week, we'll let you into our outpatient program. I looked at them and I said, if I could stay sober for a week, my little black ass wouldn't be here now. What do I do? They said, we don't care what you do, just do it. And it's been that cut and dry for me since the very first day. I'm sure there's no excuses. Do you do it or you don't? So a week went by, I got into outpatient, and I had this $10,000 annuity check coming to me, right? And so I was staying with Lark, going to outpatient, and uh, it was April 15th, that's when I was supposed to have my check, and the check wasn't there. And I had been going to all these meetings, hearing about rigorous honesty, are you willing to go to any length to get it? So I said to Lord, look, Lord, my money's not here. You helped save my life. And so I'm going to move out. And as soon as the money comes, I'll pay it back. So because I was so full of false pride, I don't ask a clock for the time of day. I wasn't going to ask anybody, can I sleep on your sofa? No, that's who needs me. So my keen alcoholic mind said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go live in the airport. <laughs> and I lived in Hartsfield Airport for my next 60 days in recovery. And I sleep in the airport, wake up about 5, 36 o'clock in the morning, ride martyr until 9 o'clock to go to outpatient, stay in outpatient to 2, walk to meetings, stay till 9, 10, and then I'd ride the train some more and then go back to the airport. And I didn't do it because I was so gallant. I had to see for myself, was I willing to go to any 
things. And so I finally got out the uh, airport, lived in a little halfway house, and I was going to meetings and I'm real quick. I can catch on very quickly. And I heard this stuff in these meetings. Don't get involved with anyone for your first year. Anybody ever hear that? <laughs> well, that did not apply to me. <laughs> I'm the exception to the rule. And I met this young lady, and we, we hit it off. At that time, she had 10 years sober, and I had 90 days. So she 13 stepped me. <laughs> so I don't think it's just men that do that. Let's not get it twisted. Slight convocation. She was HIV positive and not negative. And I was at a crossroads. I had to say, what, what am I going to do? I, I say, I love this lady. But she's got HIV, and I don't. What's my three favorite words? I don't care. And she was a consultant for CDC and Georgia Health Department. And things were, she was an AIDS educator. And so we hooked up, and things were going really, really, really well. We would travel around the country, going to meetings and doing her seminars. And then one day we had gone up to New York for my friend's wedding. And while we were up there, she started slurring her speech a little bit and lost a little bit of her equilibrium. So I came back to town, and we had some tests done. She was diagnosed with this disease called PML, which only occurs in 1% to 2% of all people who are HIV positive. It attacks the central nervous system, creates lesions on the brain, rapidly progressive and fatal, with no known treatment and no known cure. And there I was. So, I saw David go from a vivacious individual, energetic, to I used to have to take her in a wheelchair to go to meetings. Then, we couldn't do that. She had to stay home and we couldn't communicate, so we would have to type out on the computer so we could communicate. Then, now this is within a seven to ten day period, so I'm saying rapidly progressive, I mean rapidly. They say, put her in hospice. We need to put her in hospice. And that's when I first learned about the serenity prayer. Said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So she's on hospice, and one day she sits up and asks for a glass of water. Consequently, it was the same day we were supposed to have some final tests done. And we went down to the hospital, and they did, they did the MRIs. And the lesions on our brain had disappeared. <laughs> they called her the miracle lady. 
So I said, let's get married. We got married two weeks later, and she was dancing at her own wedding. That was my first spiritual experience because I saw God do what no human being could do. And so we got over that hurdle. And so a couple of years passed. Now, Debbie now had AIDS, but she had pancreatitis. She had a hysterectomy. She became anemic. We had all these things going on. And what would happen is I was fortunate that I could go down to the Atlanta Men's Workshop and talk to people. Robert and look back. I really need to talk to you because I can't handle this stuff. Ain't that right, Mark? And these guys who gave me that support. They gave me that support. So, Debbie was having stomach problems. And so we go to the hospital. And gallbladder. Two. Said, they need to operate. We don't operate. We're going to have to keep coming back. I said, Doc, with her, considering her pre-existing conditions, what's the degree of difficulty for this operation? He said, only about 30%. Bad. We'll take that back because we've been in a situation where there was no chance. And I've seen God's miracle. So we had the operation and uh, there was some complications. She was bleeding internally, blood coming out of her eyes, her nose, her mouth, her ears. They had on life support. And then around 6 o'clock that evening, the doctor comes to me and he says, Look, do you want to keep her on life support or do you want to take her off? I said, Doc, I ain't got that much power. I can't make that choice. Here's what we'll do. We'll monitor her for another couple of hours, and then we'll make a decision. So, anybody ever been in the ICU? I know you have. <laughs> it's small. It's really small. And so, some of her relatives had come up, and they had all their suitcases and stuff in the room. So, I said, what well, I'll do is so I'll go down. I'll take your suitcases down to my car, and then we'll have a minimal space. But when I had come back... Debbie had passed on. And as traumatic as that was, what it really was, that was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Because any decision that I made in my own mind's eye would have been the wrong decision. If I kept on life support, I would blame myself for making a suffer. If, it, if I took her off life support, I would have beat myself up because I quit on her and we've already been through a miracle. My higher power loves me so much that he took that decision away from me so I would never have to be burdened with that again. Now, so I'm still going to meetings. I had this little franchise. You might have seen it. Anybody ever see the uh, caveman with the circle and the stone? Called it Dead Hill? I used to own that franchise here in Atlanta. When Debbie died, The only reason I brought it was so that we could have a future. So I stumbled around for many years, just going to meetings, going to workshops, helping people. 
And as I was going through the steps, one of the things that was most instrumental to me was when I was doing my fourth step. Resentments. Anybody here have a resentment? Let me see your hands. Anybody ever have a resentment? Well, I was shown I never have to have a resentment again. I can only have a resentment if I choose to have one. Why is that? Well, first let's look at what is, what is a resentment. All resentment is, is an unresolved conflict. That's it. And it always takes place where? In the past. It can't happen in the future because the future doesn't exist. It can't happen right now because I haven't had time to reflect on it. So, if I can learn, and this is what I was required to do in my fourth and fifth step, all the people that I have a resentment towards, if I could find a way to increase my capacity to forgive, the resentment disappears just like that because two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Metaphysically, physically impossible. So if I can forgive them on the spot, I won't, I won't have a resentment. I don't have to have a resentment. So when I'm going down my 10th uh, step at night, on page 84, in the fifth book, it says, Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. So I don't have something come up and then I wait and come to an 8 o'clock meeting. Let me tell you all where I'm at. No, man, I know where you're at. You're at an AA meeting. What is the story? So, if I can continue what the substance does, when these pop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anybody. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. It doesn't even say I have to help anybody. All I got to do is think about helping somebody. Unscientific call. Have you ever thought about somebody and the next thing you know they've called you on the phone? Because I believe thought is the most powerful energy force in the universe. So if I can do that, if I can start practicing doing that, I never have to be angry again. I never have to have resentment again. Now, so I go through these steps, and it says here, on page 14, because I'm a big book thumper. They told me the answer is in this big book. I used to have a, a car sticker that said, it's in the book. I did. So, on page 14, it says, For if an alcoholic, last line on page 14, for if an alcoholic failed to enlarge and perfect his spiritual life through work, and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. That's a guarantee. Guarantee. Enlarge and perfect 
my spiritual life. It don't say don't drink. It don't say don't drink in here at all. Nowhere. I'll bet somebody $100. If you can show me it says don't drink, go to a meeting. I'll give you $100. It doesn't say that. It says try some controlled drinking. <laughs> try it more than once. <laughs> they don't even talk about a meeting until page 159. Now, there's only 164 pages in the first. In addition to these casual get-togethers, it became customary to set apart one night a week for a meeting to be attended by anyone or everyone interested in a spiritual way of life. Aside from fellowship and sociability, the prime object was to provide a time and place where new people might bring their problems. See, now this is just my opinion. don't mean nothing. But if I'm sitting in here and I got time, I'm not supposed to come into a meeting and dump my garbage on you, vomit all over you, and expect you to clean it up for me. Because the meeting ain't for me. It's for when new people can bring their problems. They ain't got no answers. We got answers. And we're obligated to give them these answers. Now, so I go through five, six, seven, and I get up to ten. We did that. Now eleven. Continue. Just bear with me, I'm sorry. So through prayer meditation. How do I do that? What am I doing? I'm seeking through prayer and meditation. And I'm not talking to people in my network. Sometimes I'm not even sharing it with my sponsor. Because my spouse ain't got all the answers. So I'm seeking through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact. Not establish it. I did that in three. Or in two. To improve my conscious contact for God as we understood him. Praying only for the knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. So what's the first question that comes to one's mind? How do I know what God's will is? How do I know that? Well, I'm going to ask you all to go on this little journey with me for a second. Okay? Because I used to believe that God's will was an event that took place. Hurricane Isaac. It must have been God's will. They must be really messing up in New Orleans because... <laughs> Maybe not. Big book dictionary. We're going to look up the word will. Big book dictionary defines the word will as the mental powers by which one deliberately chooses or decides upon a course of action. 
the mental powers by which one deliberately chooses or decides a course of action. So, I don't know. But maybe it's within the realm of possibility, I don't know, that maybe it's God's will is not an event that takes place. That takes place. Maybe it's a godly thought, a thought of love, compassion, understanding, patience, tolerance, kindness, and the power to carry those thoughts out. Now, I'm not that clever. So, in the big book, the exercise is we're going to substitute the word will with the word thought. Okay? Everybody cool? All right. It is easy laid up on, our, on the program of spiritual action and rest in our Lord. We're headed for trouble. We do provide all this a subtle flow. We are not pure of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contention on the maintenance of our spiritual connection, condition. Every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Will, the mental path by which one deliberately chooses or decides a course of action. How can I best serve thee? Thy will be done, not mine. Thy will be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. Oh, this is my will that must go with me. We can exercise our willpower along these lines all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. See, my problem was I was under the false impression that I was disconnected from my higher power. And if I really examine my track record, I never was. I should have died eight other times before getting here. So, how do I get connected? Praying for knowledge of his thoughts for me and the power to carry that out. Has anybody ever heard this saying in the AA meeting? You never have to be alone again. Anybody hear that? But what's the reality? The reality, I've never been alone. My higher power was always there to guide me and protect me. Now, I'm hard-headed. I'm a real alcoholic. That, therefore, I'm genetically incapable of taking a hint. <laughs> Yo, man, I got it. Yo, man. And then he asked me, Oh, you got my attention now. So, you see, if I can learn to simplify this stuff and just practice a couple things, my life will be transformed. You know, I want to make a public acknowledgement. I've never done this. But January 10th, I mean January 2010, I had a heart attack and I didn't even know it. And if it wasn't for my wife, Jennifer, I might not be here. She got me to the hospital. 
they put in two stints. And they said, stop smoking. Now, what did I say? I don't care, dog. <laughs> and then I just had another one in this past January. And I had to put another stint in. So when I say I'm grateful to be here, I don't necessarily mean I'm grateful to be a tradition. I'm grateful to be here on earth. Because, you know, I woke up this morning and I had nothing to do with that. It was just given to me. It's a gift. That's why they say it's, it's the present. So you see, if I, they used to say, a grateful alcoholic will never drink again. There's something that I can be grateful for. So somebody sometimes says to me, Nice seeing you. I retort. Better seen than viewed. He looks so good. <laughs> they did such a good job on him. <laughs> Rule 62. Don't take yourself so seriously. I didn't come to AA to be miserable. I had 28 years of misery. I need to find a new way of doing something so that I can enjoy life. And the answers are in here. It says further on, clear cut directions will show you how we recover. Clear cut directions. So there's no vacillation, there's no equivocation. If I do what the book says, I will get what the first hundred got. Guaranteed. Now, if I start tweaking it and doing it my way a little bit, all bets are off. I'm doing my program, not the program. So, before I go, I'd like to share something with you. Any AA Nazis or police here? <laughs> if you are, give me the ticket after the meeting. I'll pay it. All right. This is called the final analysis. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, the people will forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you.